Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready, today we'll be in the book of Genesis, chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. The title of this sermon is, Sin Surrounded the Home. Here is the first half of this two-part study. Get into this. So where we left off last week, and, and I, as we go through this chapter, the whole chapter is the life of a casual Christian. But I entitled this portion of the teaching, Sin Surrounded the House, or the Home. Uh, Sin Surrounded the House. And, and so we have uh, the pre-incarnate Jesus that was with Abraham. And, um, and, and so we have the two angels that went down to Sodom. And so as we look at this, we, we look at a couple of different points that we look at in this portion of Scripture. You see, in verse 1, you see that you'll find that Lot is comfortable in, in hanging out with the wicked. Um, and we also see that sin has surrounded the home in verses 2 through 4. We see the compromise. And as he negotiates with the wicked in verses 5 through 11. And then we see a tarnished testimony in verses 12 through 14. We see a confused conscience in verses 16 through 22. And we see not focused on the eternal in verses 23 through 29. And so as we go through this, I may... That may be how we attack it over the next few weeks and and just kind of camp out here because this is a very important chapter that we need to to see. Um, so Lot uh, with Abraham in Genesis 12 verse 15, he was um, there wasn't enough land. And so that was one of the things that happened. This all started when Lot and Abraham didn't have enough land and the herdsmen began to fight in verse 17 and, and, and Genesis 13:7. So Abraham actually handles it, and, and the way that he handles it is really 
uh, the way that we should handle all conflict or, or worldly conflict because that's really at the end of the day whenever you have two godly men that are doing well like they're 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 they have plenty of cattle plenty of wealth and the herdsmen begin to fight because they say there's not enough land and so abraham being a man of god immediately wanted to try to fix it and and so he really went to the heart of the problem so lots lots issue is what we'll see is lots heart was centered on the wealth and the worldly achievement and and abraham wanted to do one thing which was to please the lord now it doesn't mean abraham's perfect because as we get into the next few chapters abraham's going to lie again about his wife and and so he's doing well but he's going to he's going to falter as well uh, in Genesis 13, verses 8 through 9, we kind of get the discussion that happened. It says, So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are relatives. We're family. The entire land, not before you, please separate from me. If you choose left, then I will go right. Or if you choose the right, then I will go left. And so what Abraham is doing is Abraham's being a peacemaker. And that's what we're called to be. We should look for opportunities to have unity when there's conflict. And, and that's the same thing when we think about unity within the family, the church family. Right? We can have conflict within our own families. But this is important for us to have unity within the church family as well. But what happens next in verse 10, in Genesis 13, verse 10, it says, Lot raised his eyes and saw all the vicinity of the Jordan that is well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the, of the Lord, like the land of Egypt going towards Zor. So one of the things that I look at is when I look at that, he looked and saw and it's no different than you see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the what? The eyes. The eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. So Lot looked with his eyes, and he says, this is where I'm going. Look good. Looked better, I guess it looked better than where he was at. And he took the best of the land and left Abraham there. In Genesis 13, 11, you go a little bit further and you see, So Lot chose for himself all the vicinity of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, so they separated from each other. And this is where Lot's problems really begin. And it's important for us to know these things because as we dive into 19, we need to understand why he's at the city of Sodom. In Genesis 18, verses 20 and 21, it says, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah indeed, and the, their sin is exceeding, exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done entirely as the outcry which has come to me indicates. And if not, I will, I will know. So, Lot's problems have, have started and, and Abram's with the two angels and with the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And so when we 
It's, it's important for us to understand that, that when we hear people say that Jesus never spoke or handled anything that had anything to do with homosexuality, it's a lie. It's, it's a lie. Jesus spoke about it in the book of Mark. He said they were created male and female, so he deals with gender. He says that when they're married, they're married what? Male and female, biological male, biological female. You have to say that stuff now because of people. But we forget that the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ is with Abraham and is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah for a couple of things. One, their excess. They had plenty. And they would not try to help any of the poor around them. They could care less. There are about 350,000 people in, in Sodom. 350,000. That's a nice sized town. But you also had sexual morality on a rampage. And primarily homosexuality. And this is where the negotiation begins with, with Abraham. And, and, and the intercessory prayer is really what it is. As, as Abraham's faith is tested here. And it, he, he goes into this in, in verse 22. And we went over this last week. And I just want to cover this briefly. And it says, Then the men turned away from there. And went toward Sodom while Abraham was standing before the Lord. Abraham approached and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And, and so he's interceding with the Lord. And that's when he begins to go through the, Suppose there were 50 righteous people within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare it in place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? And then he goes on further to 45 and he keeps he keeps interceding and gets all the way down to 10 in verses 32 through 33 it says then he said oh may the lord not be angry and shall i speak only this once suppose 10 are found there and he said i will not destroy it on account of 10 as soon as he heard as soon as he hadn't finished speaking to abraham the lord departed and abraham returned to his place 10 there's 350,000 people in the city of Sodom and they can't find 10 righteous that's how evil the city was and when we think about intercessory prayer one of the things that reminds me of is Moses Moses in Exodus 33 verses 12 through 17 it says then Moses said to the Lord see you 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 say to me bring up this people but you yourselves have not let me know whom you will send with me Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now then, if I have found favor in your sight in any way, please let me know your way so that I may know you in order that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, the, this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the people who are on the face of the earth. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have made known by, uh, by name. And so what we see is the same thing that Moses is doing is he's interceding. Now, has God already made his decision? Yes. 
But he's growing Moses' faith. He's growing Abram's faith, Abraham's faith. And so for us, intercessory prayer is something that's very important for the church and for our individual lives. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, For I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made in behalf of some people. Uh-uh. He said all people. All people. No matter what the prayer request is, no matter what the intercession is, maybe there's somebody and you're going, man, that person's annoying me. But are you going to make intercessory prayer for that person? Are you going to pray, Lord, open their, their understanding, give them wisdom, bring whatever needs to be brought to light? Will you, will you do that for them? Lord, they're, in, they're on a path of sin. Lord, help them come back to you. Help them come back to a right relationship with you. You're interceding for them. When somebody is sick, it's the same thing. You're interceding for them. It, it is an opportunity. Every time that we can pray for somebody in intercession, an opportunity for you to show your faith and give it up to God. See, a lot of times what will happen is people won't get the response or they don't hear from the Lord, so they stop. And intercessory prayer is, is, a, is a great test to your faith because it takes perseverance. Will you keep praying for that person? See, our, our, our God considers our faith more valuable than gold. We just found that out this past weekend in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes through tested by fire, though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's like your faith, when you're praying and you're interceding for someone, or something is being tested. It's being tested. And so for us, we have to remember we have the opportunity to intercede and pray for somebody. It's also when we show intercessory prayer or we're interceding for somebody, it's, it's, it's showing love. It's showing love. Your, your, your concerns are for those that are, this is what happened with Sodom. They didn't care about the poor. They didn't even try to help them. There weren't 10 people that would intercede for the sexual morality that was going on. Instead, they joined in. It's like it, it is, should not be the last thing that we do, but it should be the first that we do. By interceding for someone, by saying, let me pray for you. Let's stop. Let's pray. You're showing love to that person. You're showing that you care, that your affections, that you're interceding for someone that is that they're the most important and urgent thing is them at that moment. We have to take time to pray. Colossians chapter 4 verses 12 through 13 says, Epaphras, who is one of your own, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, send you his greetings, also striving earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand mature fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for you that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Herpopolis. Like, do you have the maturity to actually pray for someone earnestly, for them to know the will of God, to grow in and be mature in Christ? Intercessory prayer is also an opportunity for us uh, to have an engagement of our independence. When we pray for one another, we're following the example of the Apostle Paul. 
Paul always urged us to pray for each other. In Romans chapter 15, verses 30 through 32, it says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may approve acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you and the joy by the will of God and relax in your company. Paul's like, hey, I need you to start praying for me. It's the same thing that we learn in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bend my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to His riches of His glory, to be strengthened with the power through His, whole, uh, through his Spirit in the inner self so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer. And for us to have intercessory prayer, it's a, a practice in endurance and discipline. It's so easy to quit praying. It really is. I, I, I have great admiration from you know somebody that doesn't get worn out that doesn't throw in the towel, that just stays and keeps praying until, like, Miss Donna can scratch it out of her book. <laughs> it's like those are important for us to be. We need to be diligent in that and, and understand that that's an opportunity for us. It not only teaches us discipline, but it also teaches us about endurance and perseverance until the prayer is answered. We can't quit. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3, through five it says and not only this but we also celebrate in our tribulations knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance and perseverance proving character and proving character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out without our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us this is what Abraham was doing he was interceding for Sodom he wasn't interceding specifically for lot he was interceding for the city of Sodom and and that's important for us to get because when we intercede we're also sharing hope hey God can answer this prayer like you have hope you're the one person in the room like you got the hope but but Peter just told us in in first Peter that we have the living hope and so intercessory prayer should actually drive us to a, a, a place of knowing the wisdom and goodness of God and, and that we have the hope. That's why it says in Romans 15, 4, it says, Whatever things were written before, written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort the Scriptures might have hope. We go to the Word of God. And why do we talk about intercessory prayer? I wanted to spend a little time on it before we got into 19 because Jesus intercedes for you. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It's a great verse. 
Therefore, he is also able to save forever those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. If Jesus intercedes for us, what should we be doing as a body of Christ? Interceding for each other. It's important for us to, to get that. I think the saddest thing that we get from these, this Scripture as we head into 19 is that we didn't have 10 people that were righteous because the city gets judged. 350 people. 350,000 people. And not 10 could be found in Sodom. But do you realize that 10 people can change a, a city? 10 people that are willing to walk with God... Ten people that are willing to intercede for others. Ten people that are willing to seek God's will. Ten people that are willing to, to have the power of the Holy Spirit guide and direct their steps. Ten people that are willing to walk by faith and not by sight. Ten people that are willing to understand the promises and the scriptures of God and to step out and do them. It's all it requires. It's for us to step out in faith and do what God has called us. But the life of a casual Christian gets comfortable and they start making decisions that, that actually either one, go against God's Word or, or they put things in front of God that they think are more important and they don't, they don't spend time in God's Word. They stop praying. They stop interceding. They stop serving. So as we look at verse 1 here in Genesis 19, we see the life of a casual Christian gets comfortable with the wicked. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he stood up, met them, and bowed down with his face to the ground. So we go from Lot in Genesis 13:12. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the vicinity of Jordan and moved his tents as far as Sodom. A casual Christian will begin to move towards sin. It's, it's what happens. They, get, they, 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 you know, they, they, they start looking at it and, and they, their eyes, you know, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And so he moved his tent towards Sodom. He's moving closer and closer, but we see him sitting at the gate. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of Jordan, moved his tents as far as Sodom. But then we see in Genesis 14, 12, after the war, then also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. He lost everything. He was being blessed and it's got nothing to do with prosperity. He was being blessed by being with Abraham and walking with God. And he loses everything by getting closer and closer to sin. He's lost it all. He's lost it all. But now we find him sitting at the gate. And to be at the gate was a place of position, a place of authority. He made decisions about the city. So Lot had compromised himself to the point where he was not living in a tent, but he was walking amongst the people of Sodom and living with them. It's compromise. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, it says, Do not worry then, saying, What are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you all need these things. But this is the key to every Christian's life. But seek first the kingdom of His righteousness. And all these things will be provided to you. If I seek first the kingdom of righteousness, it doesn't matter what happens to the church. It doesn't matter what happens to, uh, you know, uh, uh, the things that are happening within the world around me. I just continue to keep seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what God has called us to do. And all these things will be provided to you. We forget that. So do not worry about tomorrow, verse 34, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I gotta let this day, this day's been a day. It's been a week. It's got enough trouble. I'm done with it. Not worried about tomorrow because I don't know what tomorrow is bringing. But I am going to seek first the kingdom of God. Where am I supposed to be on a Wednesday night teaching the word of God? Where are you supposed to be on a Wednesday night? You put things in, in, in over the kingdom of God and you will pay the penalty for that. There's a price that you pay for that. There's blessings in obedience. Don't expect blessings and disobedience. It doesn't happen that way. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 